Turn your Bibles to Romans chapter eight. We're gonna be there all morning and, and for the next couple week as, weeks as Phil explained. And while you're turning there, I just have to say thank you. Um, you guys don't know how much of an encouragement your, your worship is to your pastors. And I, I think I say that every time I get up here. But just the way you sing and the way you can, you can feel in this room that you mean what you're, you're singing and what, and what you're saying is an encouragement to me. Uh, and I have to, I have to tell you this. I don't have the voice of Phil Byers. And so, like, I, that guy could speak through a brick wall or sing through a brick wall, and I can't do that. And so I, I have to, like, temper myself when I'm down here up front worshiping, and I'm like, okay, I got I to gotta hold it back a little bit. But every time I hear you guys open your mouths, I just can't, I can't do it. I have to let it, let it all go. And so uh, I, I have cough drops and I have water this service. I didn't the first service. But if my voice cracks, it's okay to laugh, Okay. I'm used to it. I work with junior hires and high schoolers all the time, and it's just a part of what happens. But we're in Romans 8, and we're starting a new series today called Unshaken. And our goal for this series is, is, is really simple. We want to encourage and equip you in, to stand firm, even with everything else going on around in our world. Uh, you know, we're, we've been very intentional about placing this series on the heels of what in the world where, where Phil has tried to make sense of the things going on in our world, as it seems we're speeding up towards the return of Christ. And last week, we looked at the chaos and the darkness that, that will permeate our world as time moves on, and this is how Paul describes it in 2 Timothy 3. It's up on the screen for you. But understand this. That in the last days, there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power, avoid such people. And I think we would all agree that we see the progression of this playing out day in and day out, okay? Our, our world's, it's getting worse, right? But it isn't just behavior and morality that's being affected. Our whole physical world seems like it's unraveling a little bit or falling apart. And honestly, this shouldn't come as a surprise to us either because Jesus told his disciples in Matthew 24 that, that this type of thing, these things would happen. And he says this in Matthew 24. See that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place. But the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of the birth pains. It's not a secret that, that our world is, is just very broken. And the people in our world are, are very broken. And I don't know what, what your response has been to the, the series that we've been in, what in the world, but sometimes when I'm sitting here, I, I, I kind of go, ah, what's next? 
Like, right, you, you get a little freaked out about what the Bible says is happening and, and what we see in our world. We see wars and we see rumors of wars and we see earthquakes and we see poverty and we see pain and we have this little thing I don't know if you've heard of called the coronavirus that's made a mess of our entire world. And if we're not careful, our tendency, our natural bent is to get discouraged, disheartened, or maybe even a little bit afraid of the days that we live in, right? And even though this response comes naturally, it's not what God wants for his children. It's not what he desires for us. And you just heard, read in Romans 24 that, that Jesus tells his disciples, see that you're not alarmed when you see all this happening. And in 1 Thessalonians 4, when Paul is describing the coming of the Lord, which will be a terrifying experience and a terrifying day for, for most people. He tells believers to encourage or to comfort one another with these words. That's because the response of believers to chaos and decay is not to, supposed to be the same as the world around us. We're supposed to be different even when things are falling apart. We aren't supposed to cower in fear and hide. We're supposed to stand unshaken in the faith we know and hold. If there's one thing I wish that the church all over the globe would, would grasp onto is that we were made for these days and these days for us. We were made for these days. It's not, it's not an accident that you are here in this time in, in Elkhart County. That was on purpose by the sovereign plan of God for such a time as this. You were made for these days, and I don't know about you, but I wanna be a problem for the kingdom of darkness, not run and flee from it. I wanna, I wanna, I wanna cause problems for the, the principalities of the air that cause our world so much hurt and pain. I know who the enemy is, and I wanna kick him in the teeth, not run away from him. And sometimes, I'll be honest, as a parent, I worry about the type of world my kids are growing up in. Any of you there? or your grandkids, I, I worry. But the truth is, if I believe that God has placed me here for such a time as this, he's placed my kids here for such a time as this. And while I'm here, I have the responsibility to make little kingdom warriors out of them, not shelter them and, and coddle them and, and make sure that nothing ever affects them because the truth is we can't do that. The world, is go the world is progressing towards something that we can't control. And our kids are a part of that. Believe it or not, I know this, this will freak you out, they're gonna be prepared to handle this world better than you are. Because God made them for that. And he's raising them up as little kingdom warriors. So then the question becomes, what does that kind of confidence even look like and how do we get there? And I think Romans 8 answers both of those questions. And so today I want to unpack with you what does it look like? And then in the next three weeks of the series, we'll look at how to get there. And for today, at the end of Romans 8, we're starting at the end, Paul gives us a glimpse of what it looks like to live unshaken, even when everything else around us is falling apart. This is Romans 8, verse 31. Why don't you read, read along with me as it's on the screen. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? 
He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen? Amen. Now, I don't know, but there's several passages like this in Scripture that when I read them, I want to run through a brick wall. Like, I don't care what's in front of me. Let's go. And sometimes we are guilty of... We're all guilty of this, of glancing over a passage and not letting it affect our hearts. But do you realize the confidence with which Paul is proclaiming that nothing, nothing can separate you from the love of Christ? Nothing. Have you ever met someone with that kind of confidence? It's contagious, and it sticks out in our world. I have the privilege uh, of living with one such person in my house. Let me show you. That's my daughter, Aurora, or as many of you know her, Rory. Um, Rory is probably the most confident person I've ever met in my life. Now, I, I understand not a lot of life has happened to her. Uh, this is, this is uh, back when we first moved here in, in the month of August, almost five years ago, and she is two years old. And in August, she decided she wanted to wear a tutu, I don't know if you can see that, but those are camouflage winter boots. Uh, and she wanted to wear her Minnie Mouse bathrobe that day. And uh, she also was carrying around a briefcase. Uh, that's a briefcase, not a lunchbox like it looks like, full of treasures. And that's how she wanted to dress that day. You know why? Because she doesn't care. Okay? Uh, if you guys know Rory, she's still like this. Okay? She has confidence and there is a great deal we can learn from our kids because they haven't been like beat down by the, by the world yet. They, they, haven't been, they haven't found out how judgmental people are of them. And I love Rory's spirit because she's like, I don't care. I want to wear a tutu and, and boots and a bathrobe for good measure, all right? We can learn a lot from them, but the truth is being confident, having this confidence that Paul talks about in Romans 8 is not about putting on some outward appearance. It's not about putting on a show. It's not about, about just looking better or, 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 or standing up straight. Our confidence to stand unshaken comes from the transformation of our minds and our hearts as we believe what God says is true. And that transformation begins by reminding ourselves and believing the truth. And Paul in Romans 8 lays out for us several core truths or core beliefs that help us stand unshaken in this world. And the first one we're going to talk about is found right here in verses 31 through 39. Here's core belief number one. To stand unshaken, 
We must be fully convinced of God's love for us and his work in us. Fully convinced of God's love for us and his work in us. There's a tendency, like I said, to believe things intellectually without actually letting them impact our lives, right? There are truths that we believe, but they're hard for us to live out, right? Being fully convinced means allowing our belief in truth to change the way we think and the way we actually live. This is what's happening in Mark chapter nine. I'm sure you guys are familiar with the story. There's, there's Jesus who has sent his disciples out to minister to people and even to perform miracles, even to cast out demons. But they come to this boy who's possessed by a demon and for whatever reason, they can't cast the demon out. And Jesus comes onto the scene and the father is there pleading with Jesus. Jesus, if you can do something. And Jesus says to that father, all things are pop possible for those who believe. And then there's a really profound statement that the father makes at that point. He says, I believe, help my unbelief. See, there's this category of things where, where we try to believe them and we even say we believe them, but we need God's help in order to fully believe, to be fully convinced of God's good work in our life. Paul's confidence in this passage of Romans comes from God helping him be fully convinced. In fact, that word translated convinced in your Bible may, uh, maybe is actually more like persuaded. So the truth that Paul rehearses all the way through Romans chapter eight is actually persuading him to have full confidence in God and his work and in his love. And so Paul goes on to show us two things he is persuaded or fully convinced of. First, Paul is fully convinced of God's love for him or his love for us. He recognizes that the basis for our confidence is the love of the Father, and he starts by saying he is for us. In verse 31 and 32, he talks about this. He says, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? And he, he states it as this rhetorical question, but it could just as easily be stated as, who is for us or God is for us, therefore nothing can stand against us. Do you grasp that? Do you under, understand that the God of the universe, this is hard for me to picture sometimes, but the God of the universe who, who set the sun in its place in our universe and decided that the planets would orbit around it and set the stars in their place and created the earth for us to dwell on, that God is for you. He's not against you. You can stand unshaken because no matter what happens, the one who really matters is, is for you. And that doesn't, catch me here, that doesn't, really, that doesn't mean that he's always gonna be in support of every decision you make. We, under, we understand that, right? What it means is he, he wants what is good and what is best and will work those things out for you. This is a rehearsal of a point that Paul makes earlier in Romans 8 and we'll cover later in the series. Romans 8, 28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good 
for those who are called according to his purpose. He's working all things for our good and his glory. And in case you think this is some health or wealth gospel thing, where God is gonna make you rich and successful and healthy, let, you, let me remind you that this is God's definition of good, all right? Sometimes we, we have this expectation of what good is, but we need, we need to look at scripture and understand that God has a vastly different definition of good than the world has, but it's vastly greater. It's better. It's more satisfying than anything this planet could ever offer. He is for us. And just in case we have a hard time remembering or have a hard time believing, Paul in the next verse points us to the greatest example of love the world has ever seen in verse 32. He says, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? I think one of the, the oldest tactics in Satan's book is try to get us to think that God isn't really good, right? He, he takes the circumstances in our life, the things going on around us, and he tries to blind us with them. And then he, he begins to whisper in our ears, if you're, if you're going through this, how, how can God really be good? You ever been there? I know some of you have walking through some really very difficult circumstances and, and wondering where God's goodness is in all of it. But Paul and the cross tell us a very different story. One of the first verses we have our kids memorize in church is one of the ones we often lose sight of in difficult times. It's John three 16. I'm sure you know it. For God so loved the world that he gave us his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal or everlasting life. It's almost as if John or Jesus speaking here is like, you don't, you don't think God loves you? He sent his son to die in your place. You don't think that, that God is, is for you? Jesus made a way so that you can have a relationship with him and live in eternity with him forever. I know you're facing some difficult times, but the cross of Jesus Christ tells us God loves us and he is for us, regardless of what's happening around you. He's for us. At the end of the chapter, Paul goes on to describe this type of love by showing us that God's love is unconditional. His love is unconditional. He says, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure or fully convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. God's love is unconditional. It's not dependent upon our circumstances. No matter how good or bad your life is at this moment, it does not define how much God loves you. The cross does that. And God's character does that. It's significant that God says, I am love. God is love. He is love's definition. And so what defines God's love for you is not what you're walking through at any given moment. It's the character of God himself that defines his love and his actions of giving his son, Jesus Christ, for you. 
God's love is also not dependent upon my performance or your performance. He doesn't condone our sinful choices. Make no mistake. But our sinful choices don't weaken his love. And some of you in this room who have had, have had wayward children know exactly what I'm talking about. You, you've never, you haven't condoned the actions to lead them to where they're at. You don't support the ch- sinful choices that they're making, but man, do you still love them? And you have that because God the Father has built that into mom and dads. He's built it into all of us, this, this desire for love because he is love. And I don't think this accident, this is an accident where he places it. God has built into us this idea of love and sometimes he loves us enough to discipline us. Sometimes he loves us, loves us enough to go, let us go through painful seasons of life. Sometimes he loves us enough to rebuke us in our sin. But the fact remains, he loves us. And we are fully known and fully loved. Do you guys understand that? Fully known and fully loved. God knows every sinful thing that I have ever done. And he knows every sinful thing I ever will do for all of eternity or as long as I'm on this earth. And yet, he loves me. Earlier in Romans, Paul says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Your your ability to obey does not determine the level at which God loves you. He loves you unconditionally. It's not an accident that this statement of Paul's unshakable confidence that the theme of God's love frames it both together. If you're paying attention to your notes, you'll, you'll see that the The statements about love are on the outside of this passage. And that's because I think Paul is building a big old truth sandwich right here. I love to eat. Anybody else out there? All right. Um, Sandwiches are only as good as the bread you make them on. Would you agree? Yeah? Like the, the ingredients in the middle, they're important. But man, like ciabatta bread, if you get some of that stuff, whoo. And I, I'll have to be honest with you, I'm, I'm like supposed to be gluten-free, but I love pizza. Don't judge me. Um, but when I was first figuring that out, I was trying to make some, some changes, and we went to that, that section in the store that says gluten-free. Don't go there. It's a really depressing place. <laughs> and you buy like, you buy a loaf of bread, right? And the whole loaf of bread is like this big. And you pick it up, and you're like, what in the world? is this? And you kind of, you unwrap it and you take out a slice of bread and it's like a piece of cardboard about that big. And you try to build a sandwich on it and you're like, this was worthless. Why did I even eat this? I think that's why they do it. They just, they figure out if we give you enough gluten-free food, you'll just eat healthy anyways and you won't have to deal with it. Didn't work on me. Because it's all, it's all about the bread and holding that thing together. And Paul is doing something here with love in the same way. He's saying God's love is grand enough and big enough to hold together all the work he's going to do because the work he's going to do in you is going to be messy and it's going to be hard. But as you walk through those things, keep in mind that God is for you and his love for you is unconditional because sometimes as we we process these things, the only way it makes sense is in the framework of God's love for us. 
Paul isn't just fully convinced of God's love for us, he's also fully convinced of God's work in us. He's fully convinced of God's work in us. He shows us just how God performs his work in verses 33 through 36, which is that middle section sandwiched between two statements on love. First, he shows us that his work is done through Christ. He says, who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who is raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. See, our, our sin brings condemnation, but Jesus' work on the cross brings freedom from that condemnation. In fact, his work on the cross was to take the condemnation that was due our sin and place it on Jesus Christ on the cross. Paul explains this in detail again early in Romans. He says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. And next week, we're gonna talk more in depth about the confidence and freedom this truth brings us. But for today's purposes, I want you to understand that all the work that is done in you is in Christ. It's all of Jesus. This confidence we want, the ability to stand unshaken when everything is falling apart around us is not achieved through human effort. We can't just work harder to get it. We get there by resting in the work of Christ that he's already done and is doing in us. Paul is here is well aware of where human effort lands us. And he describes this uh, in chapter seven. If you look back and your Bibles are up on the screen, he has this kind of argument with himself at the end of seven. He says in verse 15, for I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Anybody ever been there? Like you, you sin again and you're like, why did I do that? I hate that. Paul is right there with us. Goes on in verse 18. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? And then he goes right on to answer his own question. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's only through Jesus that we gain any sort of victory. It's only through Jesus that we can have any type of confidence in the type of world that we live in. It isn't by anything we do on our own. The only, the only place that human effort gets us in spiritual things is frustrated. Have you ever tried to conquer sin? You try to conquer that same sin, try to conquer that same sin, and you fall again. You work harder, try to conquer, conquer that sin, conquer that sin, you fall again. It's only through Christ's work and resting in the fact that he has achieved the victory for us that we can have the type of confidence that Paul talks about here in Romans 8. And Paul moves on here from the means of his work to the method he uses. God's work in us is often comes through hardship. And that stinks. There's no two ways about it. But it's true. He says this. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? 
Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. And I want you to know these aren't hypothetical situations that, that Paul is just making up. These are, these are things that really happened to him and happened to the believers that, that he's speaking to. In fact, Paul accounts his own sufferings in 2 Corinthians 11. He says this, are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. I'm talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, and toil and hardship through many a sleepless night in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. It wasn't hypothetical. Paul had walked through each one of these things that he mentions in Romans 8, and he's still convinced because of the truth of God's love for us that nothing shall separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And during much of his ministry, it, it wasn't just Paul that was experiencing it, it was his audience, his, his readers as well, because during his ministry, Nero was the emperor. And I don't know if you know the story of Nero or how crazy he was, but during the Roman emperor, em, um, Empire and during his time as emperor, he blamed Christians for a fire he probably started. And it ruined much of Rome. And then he blamed them and systematically hunted them down and killed them. Oftentimes by having them eat eaten alive by dogs or crucified or, or made to play out games in the Colosseum and then be tortured and killed or even burned alive to illuminate his grotesque parties in Rome. This well-documented persecution sent Christians fleeing for their lives and I get it, I would be running too. And while Nero desired to destroy Christianity, he actually aided in its growth. Because what happened is these, these Christians who, who do believe in this, the risen son of God wouldn't worship anybody else. And so as they're being persecuted, they're running for their lives, but guess what they're taking with them? The gospel. And so they're spreading to the entire known world and preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, whom is the only person we can have any hope in this life at all. And even, so even though Nero meant for evil, God used for great good in our world. And he does it over and over and over again because Christ does some of his best work against the backdrop of hardship. And I know some of you know that full well. Some of you are in the midst of that. But he still does this today. And while I was preparing for this, I was talking with Pastor Sean and he reminded me of a quote by Charles Spurgeon that said this, there are no crown wearers in heaven that we're not cross bearers on earth. This is the path he has for us often. This is the path to growth. growth. This is the path to Christ-likeness. And the circumstances that seem to threaten our security are actually God's instruments for our growth. 
In James 1, this is how James says, Account it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Can you imagine what, what Christians would be like if they actually grasped this, if they actually hung on to this all week long, that they would be fully convinced that God loves them and that he's at work in them? Paul understood it, and I get that we only get a small glimpse into Paul's life. And he probably struggled at times, just like he talks about in Romans 7, to be fully convinced of the faith that he had. But writing in another place, Paul revisits the same concept, and he says this, it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. See, Paul understood it. It doesn't matter what you do to us. Christ is glorified. And we're gonna use every breath that God gives us to declare his glory and to go out into a dark world who, who desperately needs hope and needs this confidence. But we're not, gonna be, we're not gonna be shaken by it. We're not gonna be fearful of it. We're gonna realize that God made us for this. Can you, Matt Chandler talks about this all the time. Can you imagine how annoying Paul was to the prison guards? He's preaching and one of the prison guards is like, Paul, if you don't stop talking about Jesus, we're gonna kill you. To die is gain. Okay, well, then we're not gonna kill you, but we're gonna chain you to this prison guard. That's okay, I'll convert your prison guard. Uh, okay, we're not gonna chain you to a prison guard, but we're gonna put you in prison and we're gonna let you live. Well, then to live is Christ and you've given me more fruitful labor. You, you couldn't defeat the guy because he had grasped and he had, he had understood that this life, is built and designed by God to bring him glory. And if we can understand and fully grasp that God loves us and is at work in us, we can stand confidently, we can stand unshaken no matter what goes on around us. For some people here, we have to understand that Paul is not a superhero. He's a mere man with an incredible God. And it's the same God you and I serve. See, when Christians get this, we're fully convinced of God's love for us and his work in us. It doesn't matter what's happening. We can stand just like Paul did. It is possible. That's what I desperately want for you, and honestly, that's what I desperately want for me because I've had to preach this, this message to myself countless times this week as we, we've walked through it. And we're gonna continue to unpack it for the next couple of weeks because we, we know what it is to have confidence, but how do we get there? Because as we read through Romans, we kind of see this incredible transformation in Paul where he's kind of shaking his, in his boots in Romans 7 and then he's standing in confidence. And I wanna look with you at how do we get there? And we're gonna cover that in depth. This confidence that Paul has and we strive for doesn't happen outside of Jesus. And for some of you, that's really important because all that this world has to offer is fleeting. And those who place their confidence in the things of this world are going to fall. 
And for some of you, that means that the very first step towards that confidence is a step towards Jesus Christ. Because you, you have been afraid and you have been wondering what's, what in the world is going on and you have been shaken and you have, maybe just in your spirit, not hourly, but you've, you've been cowering a little bit and worried and anxious and depressed and, and deceived, honestly, about what's going on in our world. And Jesus says, take heart. I have overcome the world. And he offers that confidence and that assurance and that hope to you today. And if that's you and the Holy Spirit is nudging you saying, you don't have that, this is how you get it. Don't ignore it. Okay, the other pastors and the prayer team that are gonna be up here at the, the end would love nothing more to help you start your journey with Jesus today. And so that, if that's you, this is what I want you to do after I pray. Just come put your hand in my hand and let me or one of our prayer team members show you how it's possible to have unshaken confidence in the God that we serve. Let's pray to it. Father, we love you. And I have to admit that even while, while saying these words and, and, and preaching from your word, I, I am a, a, I'm a poor example of this confidence at times. I don't always do it well. And so forgive me for that. But Lord, as you strengthen my faith and you strengthen my resolve and you strengthen my understanding of your love and your work in me, I pray that you would do that for my brothers and sisters here too. That we would walk out of this place, not just with a false sense of confidence, beating our own chest or declaring how, how much we can do, but we would walk out of here declaring how much you have already done and that we're resting in that work, God. Give us confidence this week, not just for our own sake, but for the sake of those who don't know you yet, those who haven't tasted and seen your goodness and your love. Help us to be bold in proclaiming what God has done and inviting others in to the hope we have in Jesus Christ. We pray this in his name, amen. Thank you, guys. You are dismissed. Thank you for joining our worship service online today. Our prayer is that the worship and teaching will inspire you to love God, love others, and influence the world for Jesus Christ. If you made a spiritual decision today, we'd love to know about it. You can click on the link for our online connection card. If you haven't yet, you can download our church app and you can see more opportunities and messages and even share this message with a friend. And go to our website, fbclcart.org for even more opportunities. We hope to see you back here next Sunday morning at FBC Elkhart.